they sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho, and next to them builded Zachar, the son of Emre. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassanah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, and next unto them repaired Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, the son of Mehezabel, and next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Bana, and on the passage goes, and you get the drift, and we'll, we'll, we'll um, many difficult names in there tonight, so I'm skipping a few out, but as the, on the passage goes, and you, what you'll see is that you, they go round, Nehemiah details each of the gates that had to be re- Built. And what we're going to do this evening is we're going to dip in and out of these verses. Now we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof, thank you, and for correction and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But there's no denying that chapter 3 of Nehemiah isn't one of the easiest passages to read or enjoy. It's quite a long chapter, full of very difficult names and so on. But what we're going to do is we're going to pick out individual verses throughout this chapter that teach us how to begin building for the Lord. Has not been our focus as we've walked through the early chapters of Nehemiah. We want to build something for the Lord here in the Grange. And there are certainly lessons that we can learn from chapter 3 this evening. So do keep your Bible open in chapter 3 and we'll move from verse to verse occasionally throughout this evening's message. Of course we saw at the very beginning of our series that Nehemiah, he was the man of God in the hour, that he was the man that God chose for the hour and he was a man of burden, he was a man of prayer, he was a man of action and we looked at how Nehemiah has prepared for the work in the first couple of chapters. And it wasn't just a matter of Nehemiah seeing the need and then getting up and doing something about it. But rather, there was preparation spiritually in prayer. And there was practical preparation as he had a strategy. He knew exactly what he needed. And these were necessary before he started any work in Jerusalem. And so this evening we arrive in chapter 3. And we realize that Nehemiah has a great task ahead of him. The walls are in great need of being rebuilt and he has a great challenge. But we know that Nehemiah had great faith in our great God and he would have accomplished very little had it not been for God's help. But not only God's help, had it not been for the great dedication on the part of the people who helped him rebuild. Nehemiah couldn't have done it on his own. He needed a team around him. You know, I quite like what Ali says sometimes, and there's a few others I've heard saying it too, and quite often you say, we're a team here in Grange. We're a team. And I think that's lovely. It's to do with fellowship. It's to do with working together. It's to do with serving the Lord together. And I think that's a great little mantra that I've heard here at Grange since arriving. We're a team and we work for the Lord together. You know, Nehemiah, he was a humble leader. What we'll see next week in chapter 4 is he says, so we built the wall, and then he goes on, for the people had a mind to work. In other words, what he says, he's giving credit to the people around him, and he commends them for the work that they do. You know, a comedian once said, I like work. It fascinates me, 
I could sit and look at it for hours. But when it comes to the Lord's work, there's no place for spectators or self-appointed advisors or critics. But there's always room for workers. And you can see here in this passage tonight, as we go through it, there's no bystanders. Everyone's involved in the work. Everybody gets involved. Now you'll hopefully remember from our first study the significance that the wall held in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The wall would have been put around the city to protect it from invasion, but also to protect it from false deities and religions and armies of other nations getting in. And we went through the Bible in that first evening and we considered the wall that would have been put round the roof of a building in Old Testament times and New Testament times. And we learned that it was a place of communion, that it was a place of retirement. We reminded ourselves how Samuel communed with Saul on the rooftop. We thought about New Testament examples in Acts chapter 10. We read, read about the Apostle Peter going up to the rooftop to pray. And we read about it being a place of testimony, a place of witness, because in Matthew chapter Chapter 10, verse 27, the Lord Jesus says, What ye hear in the year that ye preach upon the housetops. And of course, the wall had to be protected because it had to be maintained because it protected the family and it protected those in the house when they went to the roof for their communion, for their prayer time. It was a place to meditate in God's word. We said that that was a similar idea to what the walls of Jerusalem had in Nehemiah's day. And as we come to chapter 3 in God's word tonight, we realize that there's a great need for us to rebuild walls in the church today when we speak of it in a spiritual nature. You see, what we see in the passage tonight is that we're in great need of building in our own lives and in great need of building up the church of Christ. And as I start tonight, let me ask you the question, I wonder are you a builder for God? Believers in Christ, are we, are we building each other up? Are we building the church of God collectively through soul winning and through encouraging and enthusing those believers in Christ to become the full man, the perfect man in Christ? Are you a spiritual builder in this local church or are you a spiritual bulldozer? I wonder which one you are. Are you a spiritual builder or a spiritual bulldozer? Well, tonight we're considering how to build for God. And the first way to build for God is to remember the purpose of the work. We, we touched on this at the end of our study last time. You'll remember that Nehemiah, he was only concerned about one thing. And the one thing he was concerned about was the glory of God. That's the purpose of our work. And I've mentioned this a few times, even on Sunday mornings. And I make no apology for saying this. You see, we must remember in everything we do, it's for the glory of God. You know, the surrounding Gentile nations in Nehemiah's day, they delighted in mocking their Jewish neighbors. They, they delighted in pointing out the ruin of the walls. After all, the Jewish nation claimed that Jerusalem was Psalm 48 verse 2, beautiful for situation and the joy of the whole earth. The Jews also said in Psalm 87 verse 2, they said that God loved the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. And yet if God loved Jerusalem so much and the Jews were saying all these things and the nations around were hearing them, if God loved Jerusalem so much, why were the walls in ruin? Why were the gates burned? 
Why was the holy city in reproach? Why hadn't the Jews done something? You know, in the world we live in today, the church is generally ignored. We live in a post-church age. Children are no longer sent along to Sunday school from non-church families. A fear fear of God is no longer part of a person's thought process. And any time church or the Lord is brought into conversation with those who are unconverted around us and working in our schools, it's usually to condemn the church or to mock the church. You're the people of God. Why are there so many scandals in the church today? Why are there so many things happening that are completely against God's word? If you're the church, why is it like that? If you're God so powerful, why is the church so weak? Whether we like it or not, we live in a day of reproach when the glory has departed. So what's our purpose in building the work of God? Well, the purpose is to bring glory to God. Do you remember the high priestly prayer of the saviors? We would do well to remember this and pray it for ourselves. The high priestly prayer of the Saviour, he said this, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. I wonder when this passing world is done and you stand before the Lord, will you be able to say, I have glorified thee in the earth. I have finished the work that you called me to do, Lord. I wonder will you be able to say that. My prayer is that we would up and work while yet to stay. That we would be busy. Not sit in ruin, but begin to rebuild the work for the Lord in our community at Grange, for the glory of God. Let's pray for the glory to return. Let the fire fall. That's what we've been singing. Are you really praying that? Are you really asking for the fire to fall, or is it just a hymn you sing? Oh, we need to get on our knees. We need to plead with the Lord that the fire would fall again. But we've mentioned the glory of God last time, so we don't want to dwell on that. We're going to spend the rest of our evening on this point, the pattern of the work. There was a strategy in place. And I believe that there's significant lessons to learn from each of the workstations, if you like, where Nehemiah places the different people. And I want to very quickly touch on those in the remaining time this evening. And see, I want you to notice that there's an order and there's a pattern that must be followed. And Nehemiah lists each of his workstations and he begins with the sheep gate. He begins with the sheep gate and works anti-clockwise around the city in this chapter. And you'll see at the top right of the screen there, you'll see the sheep gate labelled there. And that's the first thing I want to note and have a look at this evening. Read verse 1 with me again. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren the priests... And they builded the sheep gate, and they sanctified it, and they set up the doors of it. This was the gate where the animals were brought into the city, including the animals for the temple sacrifices. And the gate was near the temple area, and so it was logical that Nehemiah would give this this special project to the priests. And interestingly, this was the only gate out of all 12 of them that we read was sanctified to God in a special way. Look at the verse again. It says, they sanctified it and set up the doors of it. The sheep gate gives us a very clear reminder of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who died for the sin of the world. You know, Nehemiah could have begun his report and his record of the rebuilding of these gates anywhere, any of the 12 gates, but he chose to start his report 
at the sheep gate. Do you want to know how to begin building for the Lord? Well, the first thing that you need to build for the Lord is salvation. Simple. You need to be saved. And if you want to build for the Lord, you must humble yourself before the cross, acknowledge sin, and you must be saved. You need to start by realizing that we are nothing and the Savior is everything. And apart from Christ and his sacrifice, we would have nothing eternal and there would be nothing satisfying to look forward to. And tonight we serve the Lord because he first loved us and gave himself for us. He is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. It's sweet to know as I onward go the way of the cross leads home. Let me tell you something tonight. When we think of that sheep gate, it was the way of sacrifice. It's where those wee lambs would have come in. And they would have been brought into the temple. They would have been sacrificed there on the altar. That was just a type that pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that we can serve him is if we're saved. And the sheep gate speaks of salvation. It's good to be saved tonight, isn't it? It's good to know that we have an eternal home in heaven. It's good to know tonight that we have a saviour who walks by it with us day by day. But if we know all these things and we think of the blessings, both temporal and spiritual, that he bestows upon us every single day, when we think of our salvation, surely we ought to do something for him. The sheep gate. But then we can move on to the fish gate there. And we're moving anti-clockwise. And that's what Nehemiah does. You'll find that. Because look at verse 3. He moves on. And he speaks of the sheep or the fish gate. And that next gate, after the sheep gate, after you've been to Calvary, it's the fish gate. And in verse 3 it says, But the fish gate that the sons of Hasana build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and locks thereof, and bars thereof. Now the fish gate, do you remember when the Lord Jesus told his disciples, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I wonder, are you going on with God? I wonder, are you building for God? I wonder, are you a fisher of men? Sometimes we reach an obstacle in our Christian lives and we wonder why and what's going on. But I wonder if we ask the question, are you witnessing for Christ in the workplace or are you talking to your family and friends about the Savior who died for them? I wonder what your answer would be. Would it be, no, I'm not, or I'm afraid to, or that's not my gift. I'm not an evangelist. I've heard that one many times. But the fact of the matter is, maybe this is a gate that you need to rebuild in your life tonight. Maybe the gate of witnessing, the gate where you go out and you open your mouth for Christ, maybe this is a gate that needs rebuilt. Can you see there was a group of people and they were sent and their specific task was to rebuild the fish gate. I wonder, do you need to rebuild the fish gate in your life? Are you a fisher of men? Are you busy about it every day? Do you speak to your work colleagues about the Lord? Do you live the Christian faith in front of them? Do they see that Christ means something to you? The fish gate needed rebuilt. And as a church, collectively, we need to ask the question, do we need to rebuild the fish gate? Do we need to think about our evangelism? I wonder, do we make a tangible, literal effort to reach other people in our area for the Savior who are lost in their sins, who are on their way to a lost eternity? How's the fish gate in your life? Does it need rebuilt for God? 
the sheep gate, the way of salvation. The fish gate, which speaks of uh, the fishers of men. But then you continue anti-clockwise, right? And you'll see there the old gate. The old gate, and we find it in verse 6. Verse 6 we read, moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoda, Jehoiada, the son of Pasha, and Meshulam, the son of Beshoiah, and they laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, of the old gate. And, you know, in the scriptures, there's what's called the old paths. And Jeremiah said, stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk. Therein. Now, what's Jeremiah talk about when he speaks of the old paths? Well, the old paths is simply simply a metaphor that speaks about the old truths of the Word of God, the, the truths that we shouldn't compromise on, the truths that have stir, stood firm right throughout church history and right throughout time. You know, these are the truths that we could speak about the Apostles' Doctrine and the Bible. And we need to ask the question as the church and as individuals, is the reason for the desolation in our day because the old gate has been broken down? Are we rejecting the old truths of God's word that generations in the past have seen fit to accept and we've lived in the good of them, but because now we feel in our human wisdom, well, we've got better ideas and better ways to do God's work. Are we rejecting the old ways? Have the old paths been broken down? Is the old gate broken? Does it need built up again? Do we need to get back to the word of God and see what it says? Do we need to stand upon it again? I could elaborate this point in many ways. We don't have time this evening. Because I see so much compromise in the church in these days. Even in the way that we dress when attending God's house. But that's a topic for another day. But I wonder is it time to get back to the old truths? I wonder is it time to get back to the things that should never change? The sheep gate, the way of salvation. The fish gate, fishers of men. Speaking of witnessing the old gate. Speaking about the old path. Reminding us of those old truths that we ought to stand by. Then we get to the valley gate. The valley gate. Can you see it there? You have to come on round further down Jerusalem on the left hand side. And the valley gate, it was rebuilt. And we read of that in verse 13. The valley gate repaired Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah. And they built it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. Now we'll deal with the dung gate in a moment. We're focused on the valley gate. There, the valley in scripture, it often speaks of the place of humiliation. Going through the valley. And of course, there's no greater example of humility than we find in Philippians 2. Where the Lord Jesus, we see him coming from heaven and being humble to become a man and to become a servant and being found in fashion, of ma in fa fashion as a man, humbling himself and becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Well, in our Christian lives, we need not only to go to Calvary for salvation, we need not only tell others that we are Christians and try to win souls for the Lord Jesus and follow the old paths of God's word that were revealed to us in scripture, but we need to come to this place of humility. We need to set pride to the side. 
We need to lower ourselves before God and submit ourselves and see ourselves crucified with Christ. Abase ourselves. That's what the wee hymn says. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea. <coughs> Him exalting. Self-abasing. That just means humbleness. Him exalting. Self-abasing. This is victory. I wonder are we in need of humbleness tonight? I wonder if we've been proud of what we do. You see, the valley gate, it speaks of humility and it speaks of full surrender. Are you fully surrendered to Jesus? In your work? In your family life? In all that you do? Let me ask you, is it obvious in all parts of your life that you're fully surrendered to the Lord? Can you truly say all to Jesus I surrender? All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Saviour. I surrender all. wonder in your life does the valley gate need rebuilt this evening? Do you need to come to the place of humility? The sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate. Now we're right at the bottom here of our little diagram or map of Jerusalem. We see in verse 14, the dung gate, it says the dung gate repaired Machaliah, the son of Rachab, the ruler of pardon, on it goes. But the dung gate was repaired there and we, we see that the dung gate, it had to be repaired. And what was the dung gate? Like, like, well, what, do, what can we learn from the dung gate? Well, most commentators believe that the dung gate was the gate of the city where all the waste and all the refuse was taken out to cleanse the city. And this is so important. Because yes, we've been cleansed in salvation by the blood of Christ. And John tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us and goes on cleansing us from all sin. We don't need a second Calvary experience. Once saved, always saved. And that's a gospel truth that will never change. But what we do need is fresh cleansing every day before the Lord in confession. We need to come before God. And listen, if you're in the valley and you're asking, Lord, touch me and show me and, and search me, O God. Maybe you need to pray, see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And you know, God might come to you in your daily reading of the word and he might say, hey Peter, here's something in your life that needs put right. If God shows you something that needs put right, if you're aware of a sin in your life that needs put right, you need to put it out the dung gate. You see, you need to cleanse yourself daily. You need to come before the Lord and keep short accounts with him. And confess your sin before him because I want to tell you something. If we want to experience blessing, and I mean really experience blessing, I mean if we really truly want to see the fire from heaven fall and the spirit of God fall in this place, we need to be doing away with sin. We need to be getting rid of it. And we need to be trying our best to live holy lives for the Lord, keeping short accounts with him. So let me tell you, if you have an issue with a brother or sister in the assembly, I'm telling you this evening before the Lord and the authority of his word, get it right. Put it right. 
Because if you don't put it right, you could hinder the blessing of the Lord. If you're aware of a sin in your life that you're committing and you haven't been willing to admit it yet and confess it before the Lord and put it right, get it right. Because if we want the Lord to move here in our community in Greens, if we want the Lord to move in our family lives, we need to get our sin in check. We need to live holy lives. You know, the Free Presbyterian Church sing a piece called Holiness Unto the Lord. I think it's a great hymn and one we should probably learn. It speaks of holy holiness unto the Lord being our watchword and soul. And holiness unto the Lord. They sing of it and it's so important. Holiness and consecrating ourselves to the Lord is so important. And yet it's a topic that's rarely spoken on these days. We've become so liberal. We've become so far from the Lord that we're not even willing to confess sins. And we let sins just fester and the Lord leaves. And we lose the blessing and we quench the spirit of God. We need to get this right. And maybe we need to, maybe I need to rebuild the dung gate in my life and get rid of that sin that loses the blessing. In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 we read this. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We need a fear of God in our lives again. Let us cleanse ourselves. From all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The next gate that we come to, the sixth gate, is the fountain gate. We read about it in verse 15. We have the gate of the fountain, but the gate of the fountain repaired Shalom. He builds up the gate of the fountain, and now water in the scriptures refers to the spirit of God. I hope you remember what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37. This is what Christ said. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, and here's what he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe in him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But today, Christ is glorified and therefore the Spirit of God dwells in the believer. He is in heaven, the Lord Jesus. He's the glorified man at the right hand of the Father and therefore we enter through the fountain gate and the Spirit of God takes up residence in the child of God, but the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit of God. And I believe this is what the fountain gate is all about. I wonder today, are you and I in need of praying in our own life, let the fire fall again in my life, that the Spirit of God would fill us afresh, that we would sing with the weak chorus, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh. On me, the fountain, it reminds us of water which speaks of the Spirit of God. But then we arrive at the water gate. The water gate. And you know, I find the water gate extremely interesting. In fact, it was one of those moments in the study where my jaw nearly hit the desk. Something that the Lord taught me and I thought was absolutely amazing. The water gate was the only gate that didn't need any repair. It was fine. Nothing needed added to it. Nothing needed taken away from it. 
it was fine. And we read here that moreover the Nephilims dwelt in Opal unto the place over against the water gate towards the east and the tower that lieth out. No repairs needed. Now we're told in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, Paul prayed that the Lord would sanctify and cleanse the church of Jesus Christ from all filthiness by what? The water of the word of God. Now I believe this is significant. I want to tell you something. This is the seventh gate in chapter 3 that Nehemiah mentions. And the number seven in scripture is the number of perfection. And it reminds us of the word of God, the water of the word, the water gate. And I believe that is significant, so interesting, because the word of God is perfect. And nothing needs added to it. And nothing needs taken away from it. In Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, Thy word, O God, is settled in heaven. And the interesting thing about this gate here was that there were no repairs necessary. Oh, we don't need to add to the word of God. It's perfect. In fact, we don't even need to defend the word of God. It defends itself. Our job is to place God's word in front of people and let the spirit of God do the work. You know, so often people get stuck and there is a place, don't get me wrong, there's a place for apologetics and defending the word of God. But so often it takes up so much of people's time that they're too busy trying to prove that there's a God instead of telling people that they're sinners and needed a saviour. This word speaks for itself. It's God's word. The spirit of God moves in people's lives and convicts them of sin. Our job is to put this word in front of people. You know, I once heard Roger Carswell say this. Our job as Christians is to read the word each day and he says we're like computers. We need to get the word in. And then when we go out into the world, we need to get the word out. He says we go and we read it, we get the word in. We step out into the world in our work colleagues or families and we share the word. We get the word out with our witnessing. Oh, the word of God is perfect. And that's what the world needs to hear. The water gate. Next, the horse gate. Let's keep moving. Verse 28. We find the, the water gate there, and then there's the horse gate in 28. From above the horse gate prepared the priests, every one over against his horse, or his house. And the horses would have come in, in because of warfare, and the armies of the people of Israel would have went out the gate on, on horseback. And you know, we as Christians in Second Timothy chapter 2, it tells us in verses 3 and 4 that we are to be soldiers of Christ. Enduring hardness as good soldiers of Christ. And Paul said to Timothy, No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now listen, brethren and sisters, the same thing. You're saved. You may have witnessed now and then in your lifetime. You may have gone to the valley where you've submitted yourself before God and you've surrendered to him and you may have cast out in your life all the filth and the sin at the dung gate and you've allowed the spirit of God to enter in all his fullness at the fountain gate and you're reading God's word and you're being sanctified by the water of the word at the water gate but I want to ask you are you a soldier 
And are you fighting for the Lord Jesus at the horse gate? Are you in the battle today? And do you feel that you're in the spiritual battle today? You know, if you're not in the battle, if you're not battling daily, I question whether you're a soldier at all. At least whether you're truly following after the Lord. You should be in some battle somewhere if you're going to be a good soldier for Christ. Ninth, the East Gate, verse 29. Verse 29, we see that east gate after them repaired Zadok, the son of Emmer, over against the, his house. After him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. Now in scripture, east, the east gate, it signifies the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 27, the Lord himself said, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It speaks of the east. The Lord, the Saviour, will come from the east. I wonder, are you looking? And are you, I wonder, are you waiting for the coming of the Lord? Maybe the reason why your walls are broken down in your heart is the reality of the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a reality in your life. In fact, if the Lord Jesus were to come again today, you would be disappointed. You, you wouldn't have been able to execute those plans that you had for your life. But I wonder tonight, dear child of God, are you watching the eastern sky for the rapture to come? Because one day Christ is going to come and he's going to take his people home. And it could happen any day. And it'll happen in the twinkling of an eye. And if we live in light of the rapture, I'll tell you, it would change the way you live your daily life for Christ. It was once told a story about a little lady and how she lived her life for the Lord every day. And she would have got up and she would have said her prayers and had her quiet time and then she would have opened her curtains. And she would have simply started the day by saying, it could be today, Lord. It could be today. And boy, when you think that way that you could see the Lord any moment, it would change the way you live. It would change the way you think. It would change the things you're doing. The final gate that Nehemiah mentions in this chapter, he only mentions 10 of the gates in this chapter. The last gate is in verse 31. And he speaks there in verse 31 of the gate of Mithkat. So the end over against the gate of Mithkat and going up <laughs> into the corner. And Another way of describing that gate is on the screen is the inspection gate. It's right beside the sheep gate there. And that word mithkad is a Hebrew word that means judgment, judgment, or inspection. And it signifies an appointment. Uh, it's, it's, it's to do with judgment. The idea of a troop coming before a commander, a soldier coming before a commander for review and for, for criticism. And what you see in going round these gates is the full Christian experience. It's the full, it's the full tour around because one day you and I will stand before the Lord and we'll give answer. We'll be judged for how we lived for the Lord here in this earth. Wonder, do you remember that? As you serve the Lord each day, one day you'll give answer for how you lived for the Lord from the day you were seen. So really this evening, what we've done is we've done a full tour around Jerusalem, but learned many lessons from what was built there. And let me tell you this, we're asking the question, how do you build for the Lord? 
How do you start building for the Lord? How do we see the Spirit of God moving? Well, really, we've seen it in these gates. The sheep gate, you need to be saved. How do you start building for the Lord? You need to be saved first. How do you start building for the Lord? Well, you go to the fish gate and, and you start confessing Christ and sharing the gospel message. And then you go to the old gate and you realize, well, hold on a minute. I need to be in scripture daily. I need to be making sure that I'm living this out. You know, I read a quote recently. I think it was Elizabeth Elliot. I'm not 100% sure. I'll check that. But Elizabeth Elliot said that I come to the Bible as my straight line, which straightens up my crooked line. I thought that was a really interesting quote. She spoke about her life being like a crooked line, and she comes to the Bible and she straightens up her line along Scripture. The old truths, the old paths. wonder are we living by the old paths. I wonder are we studying Scripture to make sure we're living by the Word. The old gate, the old truths. And then the valley gate. How do we live for the Lord? Well, we need to surrender humbly before the Lord each day. We need to serve him with all humility. All to Jesus I surrender. The dung gate, we need to be continually repenting of our sin. Because if sin is in the camp, there's not going to be any blessing. The fountain gate, where we're filled with the spirit of God. Wonder to ask the Lord often to fill you with his spirit. I wonder each day do you come before him and say, fill me with your spirit so I can live for you today. So I can make the right decisions for you today. The water gate where day by day we sanctify ourselves in the washing of the word. The horse gate where we, we go out to battle each day. How do we build for the Lord? We need to go to battle. We need to get on our horse, spiritually speaking, and we need to go out to battle and battle the devil and battle the things that come. And we have faith and we have the word of God. We have a full armor of God to put on each day. I wonder, are you putting on the armor of God each day? How do we build for God? We live for him and like that he could come at any moment. I wonder, are you looking to the eastern sky? For one day, we will arrive at the inspection gate. And judgment will come and we'll give a full account of our time here on earth. I trust that when you stand before the judgment and you give an account of your life that you'll be able to say that you serve the Lord with all your heart each day. You know, I feel the Lord often. I let him down daily. But one day I'll stand before him and I'll give answer for that. But your responsibility and mine is to daily come before him, ask him for his help and to live for him as best we can. And to go and make Christ known and to bring glory to his name. I wonder today, do you and I need to pray with the psalmist? Search me, O God. I know my heart. Try me. I know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe this evening we could sing that wee piece. Search me, O God. I did say I would admit it, but I think we will sing it just before we come to prayer. And let's make this our prayer this evening. Let's make this our prayer and sing it prayerfully as we come to prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Saviour, and know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be a wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free.